For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 50. Yes, we've done 50 of these. I can't believe it either. Of the Testudo Times podcast, where we talk about all the latest and greatest Maryland news and notes that there is, even though it's the end of June and there really isn't that much. But there always is something to talk about. Right, Alex? Always. Never stops. It, this cycle really does never stop, even though we are entering what should be the complete dead period where it would seem like nothing does happen. But earlier on today, we're recording this on a Tuesday night. There was some news. Maryland gets a wide receiver transfer, and this comes out of, I guess, nowhere. I don't know how to say it, but I wasn't expecting transfer news to drop on a Tuesday. I don't. In I don't June. think. I don't think it came completely out of nowhere. I, I remember that there had been, um, at least like murmuring about it that I I had heard, or maybe it was that I had read. I, I shouldn't misrepresent it as if I had had some some deep reporting on this, or else we'd have shared it. Um, that he was, uh, that his name was mentioned, I can't even remember, but it was more than a few days ago. Um, but I had pretty much fallen off my radar um, until until uh, I actually saw the morning after. I saw on Tuesday morning uh, the aid committed on Monday night. So good news for Maryland, definitely. Um, so tell everybody about this player. He comes from New Mexico State. Yeah, Not the from... <laughs> greatest and best college football programs, but it offers position at uh, – depth at a position that Maryland doesn't have quite a bit of it in, so that's always good. Yeah, it's helpful. Uh, so the receiver they get, uh, his name's Teldrick Morgan. He is from Maryland, uh, I believe from Hanover. He went to high school uh, in Fort Meade, was a two-year player, was in the program for three years, played the last two uh, with New Mexico State. Uh, his best year was 2014 uh, when he had, if I have this right, uh, 75 catches, 900 yards, seven touchdowns. Uh, in a pretty lousy Sunbelt offense. Uh, and then his numbers went down last year when he was hurt, you know, down to like 44 catches, 500-some yards, but he was still the team's leading receiver. So he's, he's used to uh, kind of handling a big workload and being targeted a lot, which is something that uh, for Maryland is probably pretty helpful because I don't think anybody on their roster has ever really been a number one receiver uh, in in the workload sense of that term. Uh, so it helps to get somebody who has a little bit of experience going against top cornerbacks. Obviously, big disclaimer is that these are Sunbelt defensive backs that he's been going uh, against. Uh, and yet, by another token, he's been catching passes from Sunbelt quarterbacks. Uh, now, obviously, last year, Maryland's quarterbacks were probably even worse than uh, Sunbelt quarterbacks. But uh, it, it seems to me like a pretty good upside play for Maryland, and I think I think he can help. I think he can help, too. But just give everybody a little refresher on where the wide receiver position is right now before we get into other stuff, because it's yeah. hard to remember who's actually left. 
His wide receiver was a great position of strength for Maryland in the last couple of years, and it's slowly dwindled by attrition, by graduation, other factors. So where does uh, where is this Manu player going to fit in to the wide receiver position this year? You figure he's going to be right up the top of the depth chart. Yeah, I think pretty close to the top. I mean, Maryland doesn't have uh, a ton of receiving experience, but by the, the same token and kind of on the flip side of that same token, uh, it does have a lot of guys who have, have been in the program for at least a year or two. Um, now, the most experienced guy here by far is Laverne Jacobs, uh, who's been getting playing time for, for three seasons, and he'll be a senior. Uh, his brother, Tavon Jacobs, who was a big-time recruit, is still here. Um, Malcolm Comer is still here. Uh, obviously, I, I, excuse me, I'd be pretty remiss uh, not to mention DJ Moore, who was a true freshman last most year. most people think that he's going to be the most explosive out of all of them. I agree. You know, I, think that, I, I think very highly of him. I think he's a good player. I liked what I saw from him last year. And again, this is coming with very limited uh, players at the quarterback position. So he, he could have yeah. fit in at the top of that. But again, you figure it's going to be somewhat of a revolving door and just sort of changing parts and seeing what fits. There you know? is, yeah. Yeah, but they have also, I mean, I think that's kind of a way that you can look at this positively glass half full. Last year was a really bad year to come into the program as a receiver and they had a few uh freshmen playing in you know in, in prominent roles there um you know the number one tight end avery edwards was one of those and probably should mention him with the receivers because he lines up uh standing up in the slot pretty often uh jarvis davenport is another one who you know showed some flashes didn't do a whole lot um but the point is that it's pretty tough when you come in and the quarterbacks are as bad as maryland's were last year uh to really make much of a mark um, but yeah, I'm with you. I think DJ Moore is going to be great. I think he'll be uh, one of Maryland's most productive receivers in the last, you know, five, ten years. By the time he's done here, I think he's got got a very bright future and, and showed some really encouraging things last year. So that's an interesting bit of news. But really, the focus of this show, even before the announcement of a new wide receiver on a Tuesday afternoon in June, was going to be focusing on Maryland's. NBA draft prospects. Now, we had assumed that a couple were going to get drafted, and a couple were. We had assumed that one might get drafted a bit higher than he ended up getting drafted. So let's talk about now where they figure into their new NBA teams. Diamond Stone was drafted. I don't remember what pick it was, but he was drafted by the Pelicans. And that was, which one was it? 40th, I want to say. 40th. I don't remember what oh, well, it was. Yeah. I, I don't remember what it was, trust me. Well, we could look this up. But he was drafted by the Pelicans, and his rights ended up getting traded to the Clippers. Now, there were rumors that he fell because of maturity issues, and naturally that led to Maryland fans going a bit crazy, saying he should have come back for his sophomore year. He could have improved. This is all stuff that we've talked about on this podcast before, where we say these players have different reasons for leaving and going to the NBA, even if they might not be fully ready in a basketball sense. But now he's going to the Clippers. They already have a really good defensive center in DeAndre Jordan, but... You know, where does he fit in? He's a young player, of course. He's got a lot of upside. Big centers are still something in the NBA, even if they're becoming more and more devalued as time goes on. How do you think he's going to fit in with Doc Rivers' team that always perpetually underachieves and does things that defy the laws of sports and logic? That's a good question. Uh, you know, my first thought about being a center on the Clippers is that they have a lot of big men, and I don't want to purport to be uh... – Zach Lowe here uh, when we're talking about the NBA, but well, just from a kind of a, right, now, right. Uh, just from a roster construction standpoint, I mean, they do have a lot of big men. I mean, DeAndre Jordan's not going anywhere, and um, Diamond Stone will not be the starting center for the Clippers, uh, barring injury to to Jordan anytime soon or ever. 
Um, but even beyond that, I mean, they have some guys who have, who have actually played in the league. Uh, Cole, Cole Aldrich is there, who I still think of from his uh, his Kansas days, I believe it was. Yeah. Uh, and obviously the big the big guy is, is Blake Griffin, um, plus a couple of other guys who strike me as a sort of NBA filler um, just by looking uh, kind of down their their numbers and their bench. I, I can't purport to be uh, again any great expert on the uh, on on. Jeff Aris from Arizona State. Uh, I know they have Brandon Dawson. I'm even less of an expert than you are. Let's be. I have friends that are Clippers fans, but I don't think any of them are going to give me a, a straight answer. And, but they also, they also actually probably more prominently. I mean, they drafted before uh, Diamond Stone. They drafted Bryce Johnson from Carolina, uh, who can play a little bit of the three, but is really a, a front court guy. I mean, he's six ten and um, you know pretty good around the basket. So Where you know, I, you I don't. Diamond Stone in one position, basically. Well, right. really you don't, you don't really want him at power forward anyway, but you know, I just I, I think it's going to be kind of difficult, uh, at least at first, for him to get a lot of playing time. Uh, but you know, the Clippers wouldn't have spent uh, a reasonably high uh, second round draft pick on him if they didn't think he could be something for them. So uh, I, I guess for him, if he if he can kind of carve something out for himself, I'm assuming he'll be given every chance to to at least make the roster and, and then see where he goes from there. So let's talk about these maturity issues, which was something we saw as a reason for why he fell to pick four. You were right, by the way. Uh, these maturity issues, they're nothing, you know, that we can think of as maturity issues, you know, in the greater sense of what that term has meant in the past. But they were sort of, he's a 19-year-old. He, you know, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to define this in a way that isn't right. misleading people, you know. But maturity yeah. issues can mean many things, and it was part of the reason why so many people the day after said, well, why did he go to the NBA? He could have come back, and he could have been a really high draft pick next year, although the 2017 draft figures could be a lot deeper than the 2016 draft for what that's worth. So what are these maturity issues that they're talking about? And also, I guess, go into why Diamond Stone left when he did, even though most of us expected when he declared to come to Maryland, he was going to be a one-and-done player. Yeah, I mean, people always talk about uh, about character or, or about maturity and about you know what what you're yeah. make in baseball. In baseball, the term is your makeup. Uh, uh, and in hockey, it's character. And right. Alex, we are both big hockey fans, and every time we hear that word, I cringe. But I don't right. I don't know about you. It's it's a Don Cherry staple, and it annoys the it's crap true. out of me. But this is another sport. Yeah, so I, I know that. I mean, there's a perception that's followed Diamond Stone for a while uh, that he's he's sort of a me guy, and I'm not going to speak entirely if that's fair. Um, I think that even starts with, 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 and this this is most likely not fair, uh, with you know the fact that his Twitter name has always been all eyes on me, and I think he's kind of the way that Diamond Stone uh, was recruited, uh, especially when he picked Maryland over his home state of uh, over his home state school of Wisconsin, uh, he kind of fell into maybe a little bit of a persona for a little bit of just kind of being the villain, uh, at least in the eyes of, of some of the people back home, uh, and. You know, for for whatever reason, has always had a, a reputation, just as like a little bit of a guy who who likes to be kind of in the spotlight. Um, I, I can't really imagine that there's any great problem uh, with with Diamond Stone's character that's any different than what so many uh, college freshmen go through. I mean, I, I know that you know not everyone um, says perfect things about him, and that he, you know not everyone says he's the absolute best person in the world. But how many guys are spoken about in that way? Uh, so my my real guess is that Diamond Stone fell in the NBA draft uh, because he wasn't entirely uh, ready to go to the NBA and and 
just isn't as good as about 39 other players uh, who were in this draft year. And, and I, I don't think it's a whole lot more complicated than that, no matter what little things might have been on the periphery or, or how we might rationalize it after the fact. So we've talked about this quite a bit on this show in terms of why somebody would go to the NBA before they're ready. I know Matt Allen talks written about this. You've written about this. You know, there is many reasons why you would leave for the NBA before you're ready. And unless you were really projected to not be drafted, and Stone was always going to be drafted at some point, he has a certain amount of time to earn a lot of money. And if you stay in college, you can't earn any money. And even Absolutely. now in the NBA, he's gonna, on his rookie deal, he's not going to be making much, but he's going to be making more than he would at Maryland. And now that clock keeps going to when he could sign that first big ticket deal if he really plays well. And as a big man, we've seen it in the past, and he's seven foot tall. They don't always succeed in the NBA. And their clock of when they could really be successful and really earn the big bucks, it tends to be smaller than or quicker than other players. So I don't think we can begrudge him for leaving. And as I said before, we all expected him to leave. No, and I, I don't disagree. But what I will say is, is this. I thought that when Robert Carter uh, declared for the draft, I thought it made a ton of sense. Uh, because there's no universe in which Robert Carter was ever going to become a first-round draft pick. Now, Matt has written about this a lot, uh, but the difference between first and second round in the NBA is huge because the difference between your contract being guaranteed uh, and not being guaranteed. I mean, it really is the, the difference between financial security and not, uh, at least for your first couple of years in the league. So I happen to think, um, and again, this is absent the context that you mentioned of, of the draft class likely being stronger next year, you know, I think Diamond Stone could have become a significantly better player um, and probably ironed out whatever the, you know, quote-unquote maturity issues are that he had uh, with another year or even, frankly, two years at Maryland. Um, but I didn't think when he declared for the draft that he was going to be a second-round pick. Um, you know, I think if you're going to be a first-round pick, you really got to go. And if you're going to be a second-round pick, you should go unless there's a way that you're going to become a first-round pick. Um, so this is kind of pointless because hindsight is uh, – hindsight, you know, I mean, obviously – First of all, 2020, but second of all, it can't really be changed. You, you know, you can't take hindsight uh, and go back and change events after they've already happened. But uh, even with that, I mean, I think it'll probably it'll be a tough one to swallow for Diamond if he comes to the conclusion that he could have maybe become a first round pick. Um, now, given that the draft class is supposed to be a lot better, I, I don't know uh, how it compares in the front court specifically. Uh, that might not even be true. Um, so it was a hard decision. Uh, it, it was probably a harder decision in retrospect than it seemed like at the time, but uh, it's a, it's a tough outcome for him, I think, to be to be a second rounder and to have virtually no guarantees of anything in the league. Well, you got to be work harder, and everybody who gets into the draft, and there's 30 other players in his position, of course. So let's move on to another Maryland player that was drafted seven picks later. It was Jake Lehman, who was drafted by Orlando and traded to Portland. I can say this: I understand MLS is complicated ridiculously insane rules they somehow make sense to me but nba trades when they announce the magic is making this pick and then it's traded to the trailblazers but it's never publicly announced until july 1st because of some arcane rule that doesn't make any sense regardless of that jake layman is going to be a portland trailblazer that's a team that made it to the western <coughs> conference semifinals and gave all sorts of hell to the warriors before this thunder and the Cavs gave them hell Jake Lehman, we never thought he was going to be a first-round pick, but here he is now in an interesting position. He got drafted, and that's great to say, of course. I think there's going to be some sort of history where Jake Lehman is looked upon way more fondly at Maryland than he was during his time 
in other words, he's going to be a much more beloved player now that he's gone than when he was there. Uh, so now he's in Portland. How does he fit in in that situation, to the best of your knowledge? Of course, we're not NBA experts here. We're doing the best that we can. Yeah, I know Portland has a lot of guys who play either the three or the four, which are the two positions um, that Jake plays. Um, and they've drafted a lot of these guys just in the last couple of years. And they have Cliff Alexander, uh, who went to Kansas and was you know, a much bigger recruit as a high school player. They turned out to be uh, in the NBA. He's a, a power forward. Uh, Alfred Camino has been in the league a long time. He plays small forward and, and had a pretty good year for them. Uh, Ed Davis plays a lot of power forward. Uh, Myers Leonard, uh, one of the, the several Leonards uh, floating around the league, is there. Mo Harkless, who had played with the Magic, uh, is a power forward and a small forward. He is there. Uh, so they've got a lot of guys. And no, I think Noah Vonley, who went to Indiana and was a lottery pick and plays power forward, is there. So they have a lot of bodies who play uh, Jake Lehman's positions. Now, not all of those guys have panned out uh, perfectly, and I don't, I don't think that the Blazers are really in a position to make their roster decisions around some of those guys. Uh, like, I, you know, I don't think that Cliff Alexander's presence on Golden State's roster is really going to keep Jake Lehman from making a, a dent at power forward. Um, but I do think there's, you know, there's a lot of guys there who are going to, you know, who he's going to have to compete with to play. Uh, on the other side of, of that, though, uh, he was their only draft pick, and I think they paid, you know, they traded up and they paid $1.2 million to get him. Uh, so I can't imagine that he won't be given every chance in the world to succeed. Uh, and, and it seems, you know, it, it would seem really shocking if he didn't make the roster and, and at least give himself a chance. It will be very interesting to watch how many Maryland fans stay up late to watch Jake Lamb and the Portland, because you figure you're right. He is going to succeed, have given every chance to succeed in some way. Now, one player that wasn't drafted that some thought would be drafted was Robert Carter, who we all thought was going to declare for the NBA draft. And he went undrafted, which isn't great, but he's going to the Golden State Warriors, which is pretty great. Now, who knows what the Warriors are going to look like by the time July 1st, July 8th rolls around, because they could sign Kevin Durant, and then this all could be moved. But he's now a Golden State Warrior. I can't think of many things in the NBA right now that would be better than being a Golden State Warrior. Being a Cleveland Cavalier. Well, yes, but you're still playing on the Warriors, and I don't know. Yes. That seems like a pretty fun existence at the moment. It does. So what are his, his chances of succeeding? Again, as an undrafted free agent, he has even more work to do to make a just incredibly <clears throat> loaded roster that might be even more loaded by the time this podcast is uploaded. So, you know, what does he have to do? Well, I mean, the Warriors are, are you know, one of the, the few NBA teams that I think we we all watch a lot of, so we at least have some idea of how they play. I mean, you know, you look at what do they emphasize. I mean, on offense, they they look at spacing and they look at, at ball movement and things like that. Robert Carter's pretty good at those things. You know, he can uh, float pretty seamlessly between the post and the three-point line, and he can um, get around pretty well and, and play against different kinds of defenders. I think that's something that'll be very appealing for a team like Golden State uh, on defense. What are they about? I mean, they're about versatility. I mean, how many guys do they have on their roster uh, who can cover two, three, even four positions? I mean, Steph Curry can't really, but so many. I mean, everybody else in that uh, so-called death lineup could cover at least two positions. He could put Bogut against power forwards. I guess he's more of a pure center, so you wouldn't really want him to. Um, but, you know, they've got all these guys. I mean, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Andre Godala, Harrison Barnes. Uh, Sean Livingston, you know, they they are really good at playing defense against different kinds of basketball players. Uh, now, Carter has a long, long way to go defensively. I thought that his rebounding took a big step back 
uh, in his only year at Maryland compared to where it was when he was at Georgia Tech. Uh, but he's, you know, he can cover uh, a center. You know, you would think he could bang around with the center because he's so strong. Uh, he can certainly cover power forwards, and he's probably quick enough uh, in a pinch to to deal with small forwards. So I don't think you'd really want him doing that for for the entirety of an NBA game. So I think he's, you know, I think it's a good fit. Uh, and, you know, I think in the pick-and-pop game, not that Golden State uh, would be best served by Robert Carter taking a bunch of shots for them, because I hear they have a few other guys who are pretty good at shooting. But uh, I, I think he could contribute. That would be nice to say it again. So now everybody who's a Maryland fan gets to stay up late and watch Trailblazers and Clippers and Warriors games to see how the Maryland alums are doing. I won't be doing that. Because again, staying up late's not great for me. We should add. We should add too that Golden State is going to be in a position where they're going to need low-cost contributors. Uh, That's true. That's I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be pretty tight against the cap, and if they were to sign Kevin Durant, I mean, they'd be really up against the cap, and it would seem like their entire bench pretty much would be uh, would be young guys. So they'll be uh, they'll be in a position where you know if Carter if Carter plays well, um, obviously this is probably the biggest cliche you'll ever say, but. Uh, if if he plays well, then you know it's the next guy up, and he'll he might have a chance to to do something there. Mm-hmm. So let's go now to Maryland basketball players that haven't left yet or will in the future. We'll talk about the 2016-17 opponents list. We talked a little on the last show, which felt like it was eons ago because it probably was about some of the out of conference opponents. We said the Georgetown, Pitt, Oklahoma State, Towson, the lot really. Uh, now we get to talk about their Big Ten opponents, which you kind of knew already because it goes in a three-year cycle, but now we have them for sure. The home-and-away games are against Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Ohio State, and Rutgers. Home-onlys are Indiana, Michigan State, Nebraska, and Purdue. Away-onlys are Michigan, Northwestern, Penn State, and Wisconsin. Last year their schedule was pretty brutal because the toughest teams they had to play, they only played on the road, basically. This year, the toughest two teams in the conference, you figure, are going to be Indiana and Michigan State are going to be up there. Purdue's also going to be up there. Wisconsin will, will, will certainly be up there, too. Wisconsin will be, too. But let's say that that's three of the four that aren't Maryland of the toughest opponents are only coming to College Park. And when you've only lost one game at home since they switched conferences, I'd much rather play them in Xfinity Center than on the road. This is a way more favorable conference schedule than Maryland had a year ago. In fact, the schedule for Maryland this year is looking really, really favorable. It does, and I think you know it, there's there's a couple of ways that it's favorable. Uh, last year, one of the things that I think hurt Maryland uh, when they were just the number five seed in the tournament, not that it mattered, they they did get out of the sweet, they did got get out of the round of 32, uh, was they didn't have a lot of quality wins. I mean, really, they they had two ish, maybe three if you count beating Connecticut at the Garden, uh, but they were the home wins that they had against Iowa before Iowa faded, uh, and Purdue, and they were both home wins. This year, they'll get chances to win home games. Uh, against Indiana, Michigan State, uh, and Purdue, uh, which is great. I mean, those are three top 25 teams, you would think. Uh, plus, they'll have uh, a home game against Iowa, which may or may not be uh, much to write home about. We'll see how we'll see how that works out. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a couple chances for quality wins, and and there aren't so many games where you'll go into it thinking, ah, you know, they're they're really going to lose. I mean, by the end of last year. Did anyone really think Maryland had a chance when they went to to Bloomington to play Indiana in that last game? Not really. They were such trash on the road last season. And um, frankly, they have been uh, in large part in conference play um, under Mark Turgeon. Uh, That's something that his teams have not done well. They have Um, not won a road game against a ranked team since 2008. So that gives you kind of a hint. 
I mean, they really, they really have been a completely different beast on the road and, and at home. So, uh, yeah, I think they should be sending the Big Ten a fruit basket, uh, even if that's the way the rotation shakes out. I think it'll help them a lot. It does. So when you think about it, I mean, road games against Illinois, nothing scary. Iowa, they've lost basically everybody from last year's team that was really good. Minnesota, yes, Maryland lost there last year, but still not going to be that amazing. Rutgers is, I mean, Rutgers. Ohio State, who knows what they could be. They could be better than they were a year ago. They always seem to get a lot of interesting recruits. Michigan's had a ton of turnover. Northwestern is Northwestern. Penn State could be better. But you never really know with them, and it's still Penn State in basketball. Wisconsin's the toughest team that they're going to play on the road in conference play. And then at a conference, I mean, what? Georgetown's not really a road game. <laughs> it's at Verizon. Yeah, man, it'll, I think it'll be a – I don't think it's going to be that no, much it's, of a road cause, game. It's because of how ticket sales work. I mean, Georgetown gets to sell more seats. They do, uh, but I'm not saying, like, as opposed to other potential places you could have played on the road. Sure. That's sure. not going to be that. And then their Barkley Center games are against teams that aren't very good. And even then, because of what so the games are, Maryland's we haven't done this. We haven't done a rundown of everybody they play. But let me let me think in my head. I mean, there's the teams you mentioned. There's so there's Georgetown, uh, the, the Barkley Center deal. I believe in Kansas State or Boston Kansas State. College. Yeah, Kansas State, Boston College, and which yeah, um, Towson, Pitt is there, Charlotte, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State is there. State. Those are the those are the ones that they've announced, and I think the rest are going to be filled with your usual mid-major cupcakes. Yeah, so, that's probably fair to say. And I some think, of those teams weren't, you know, Oklahoma State was was pretty bad last year. I mean, that, yeah. that was probably a game that uh, was looked better when they scheduled, and I think it's part of a home and home because they it went to Squat years ago. Uh, but that doesn't even seem, to be honest, very fun. Pit, uh, well, I mean, I know you know them better than most people because. You and Sean Gentile are the only two people that care about Pitt Maryland in the same way. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't think I think again. I think they made the NCAA tournament last year, and they I, did. And then they played the the worst game of the tournament, losing uh, 47-43 to Wisconsin. It was. Oh, it was, you're right. So, you're right. I, there's a reason why I forgot about that game because it was. Yeah, awful. it was. So it was criminal. Just, yeah, I it was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Team at home, but then again, it's like it's Pitt. It's not. Duke, it's not North Carolina, it's not anybody that's going to, even NC State, it's not anybody that's jumping off the page, and who knows how good Georgetown's going to be. Last year, we thought that was going to be a great team, and it turned out that they were pretty bad, so, I mean, yeah. they are going to, they have a very, very favorable schedule. Now, this means they could have an incredibly inflated record, like we've seen Maryland teams of the past have inflated records. Toward our freshman year, Maryland had a very inflated record, because their out-of-conference schedule was embarrassing. And yeah. they fell back down to earth in conference play. And in 2014-15, they had a pretty inflated record for what it is. And this could be the case again, but it also means that they could be winning a lot. And that's great. And when it comes to the big games at home, they could be highly ranked. And when Indiana comes in, the place will be crazy. The Michigan State game will be properly nuts. I think that's one of the, the few Big Ten opponents that Maryland fans will get up for. Uh, the, the first time Michigan State came to College Park was the Mellow Trimble going off game. 2015 yeah. and that was pretty crazy and Purdue was pretty good too so that is your conference slate and now we move back to football briefly to talk about one thing that maybe only I care about but it is so amazingly Matt Lichtenstadter and if you don't know me that well you'll know you won't know that I'm a very very big Jacksonville Jaguars fan it's my team and it's been for a very long time so when I see Fred Taylor something for Will Likely to win the Heisman I immediately have to take notes. What the heck's going on here? Fred Taylor, who, again, I revere. And I'm glad, Alex, you ended up dealing with this. 
a bit because if I tried to interview him, I wouldn't be able to think straight. He's one of the few Jaguars players that I kind of have super, supreme reverence for. So right. he's stumping for Will Likely for the Heisman, and that's amazing to me. Now, there are reasons why he'd do that. Like yeah, I think they went to the same high school in Florida. And they went to the same, and they went to the same high school. What, I, what I've been trying, what I've been trying to gather, um, we've had a very, a very brief over Twitter uh, communication, uh, is when he says he's his nephew. If they're actually, you know, I have plenty of like, like two of my dad's closest friends. I refer to them as my uncle, even though they're not technically my family. I feel like we'd have known already if they were maybe like, they were blood relatives. Perhaps they are. Maybe I, I don't. I don't think that's like, as well known. That seems like a Washington Post profile that would have already been written. I don't know. Um, but maybe, maybe he hasn't yet. I don't know. Um, but I also I, I have non-family members that I refer to as my uncle, so I don't know. I'm trying I, I'm trying to work with Marilyn uh, and and figure this thing out and write something longer about about Will and Fred. It seems fun. It seems a lot of fun because again, it's Fred Taylor. This is the best thing that could happen for me. Again, if Fred Taylor comes to a Maryland game and is stumping for Will Likely, I thought Keenan McCardell being the Maryland wide receivers coach for a while was a big deal for me because, of course, Keenan McCardell's Thunder and Lightning with Jimmy Smith. And of course. Taylor, it's like all of the good memories of being a Jaguars fan are coming back to me. You know, <laughs> when being a Jaguars fan was actually fun, not this very, very sad existence. And now this Fred Taylor thing is making me laugh, and it's I'm enjoying it so much. And, again, thank you, Alex, for taking care of this because this is one of the few cases where my biases would absolutely take over and I wouldn't be able to. Again, one of the best Jaguars players of all time stumping for the one of the few Maryland players worth watching at the moment. It's just my mind can't comprehend that. You know? I'm glad I'm glad it's worked out. And, and Jaguars fans are starting to like Yannick and Gawkway, too. So it's a really good time to be a fan of Maryland and the Jaguars, which is basically only good news for me. If there are any of you that actually like the Jaguars and are Maryland alums, please uh, care to uh, tweet me at Matt's Musings One so we can share in our common suffering of support group of horrible, yes, Alcoholics Anonymous, basically for football fans. Uh, now that we are, as we wrap up this show, there is one more thing I want to say that I wanted to say off the top and I forgot, but it happens. Um, we are going to be going for the next six, seven weeks where there really isn't that much to talk about. We can try to find the news every now and again, but there isn't going to be much because it's July, it's the summer, everybody's out of school, you're out of the beach, whatever. So we want to ask the listeners and readers of Testudo Times and this podcast, what do you want to see us talk about? I mentioned this on the last show, but I really do mean it. Do you want to see us go like we did last fall and we talked to some media members who went to Maryland, not that they covered the Terps, but that our Maryland alums talk about their time at Maryland, what they do now, how much they can watch the Terps, that sort of thing, like we did with Sean Gentilly and uh, Ethan Rothstein, uh, that we did before. I would be certainly game to do. There's a lot of Maryland media we're gonna have, we're gonna, there. We're going to have some guests on for sure. We'll we're, certainly we're, do that. It's a foot. We've even got we've got some some uh, hooks in the water on on Maryland alums in the non-sports media. We'll bring back. Uh, oh five, yeah. Some got got some folks at Politico and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we you might want to share some, share some 2016 knowledge with us as we talk uh, about. I might, I might be on mute for that, <laughs> or how they haven't uh, gone insane yet. The possibilities really are, uh, they're endless for us. Well, Alex is the more of the political of the two of us, so that's something we could definitely focus on. There are a great amount of Maryland uh, alums in the media that I can think of off the top of my head that would be a ton of fun to have on the show. We could also watch old games. You can give us suggestions at Testudo Times at whatever your Twitter handle is, Alex. I completely forget what it is. Don't worry. Okay. 
and at MassMusings1. You can also post in the comments below or on SoundCloud. You can send us there. We will certainly be doing things like this as time goes on because we want to fill the time until we get to football season and the later end of August. So till then, Alex, it was great to have you back on and talking about many Maryland assorted things. Absolutely. Always do. You enjoy your holiday, of course. I'll just be working. It'll be fun. You'll be working. I will be watching soccer, and it will be fun. It will be a lot of fun as uh, I keep continuing to think about how Iceland is in the quarterfinals. Right, of the, year. the Brexit. Uh, let's not go there. Yeah. That, that's not a. That's just an England exit. Anyway, well, that's for soccer podcast. Not here. Uh, maybe one day we'll get Sasha to talk about that kind of thing. Anyway, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show, and of course, go Terps. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.